Thank you for watching NTD Business Top Stories tonight. 10,000 workers at Microsoft facing layoffs as the company joins a growing list of tech firms that are cutting jobs and trimming costs. The U.S. is one day away from reaching its borrowing limit or debt ceiling, but an expert says that debt is actually not the true problem. And a senator is calling on the DOJ to investigate a government mass surveillance program. He says the scope of the program is far greater than what the government said it was. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Don Ma here. Microsoft is laying off 10,000 workers. That's according to a security filing today. The layoff is far greater than the cuts Microsoft made last year. It says it's cutting costs in response to looming recession fears and changing customer priorities. In a memo to staffers today, Microsoft's CEO said the job cuts represent less than 5% of the company's total workforce and that the layoffs will be complete by the end of March. The cuts reflect broader belt tightening in the tech sector. More than 150,000 tech workers faced job cuts in 2022, according to tracking site layoffs FYI. Amazon, Salesforce, and Facebook parent company Meta have all recently announced layoffs. Wedbush securities analyst Dan Ives said, This is a rip-the-band-aid-off moment to preserve margins and cut costs in a softer macro. Microsoft shares fell nearly 2% at market close. In the latest on the Musk-Tesla trial, a nine-person jury has been selected and opening statements begin today. A group of Tesla stock investors filed the lawsuit, claiming a tweet from chief executive Elon Musk cost them millions of dollars. What's the lawsuit about and what will the jury consider? Jillian Kitchener has analysis from a law professor. The main focus, a 2018 tweet from Musk reading, quote, am considering taking Tesla private at $420, funding secured. Shareholders have said Musk tweets cost investors billions. Uh, it's very unusual for a corporate executive to, to tweet in the indiscriminate manner that, uh, that, that Musk does. The lawsuit seeks unspecified damages for shareholders who bought or sold Tesla stocks in the days after Musk tweets on August 7, 2018. When the stock price rose after the news, they allegedly bought, and then it collapsed. When the truth came out, they claimed that that was fraud. Professor of law at UC Berkeley, Robert Bartlett, says the case is unique. You know, this case is, uh, is somewhat unusual in that the judge has already ruled that the statement of funding secured was false. Um, the main issue for the jury is going to be whether it was material, which legally uh, can be thought of as, uh, was this the type of false statement that investors would actually act on? Um, and they, the primary defense is going to be that, well, he said you know, he was also considering taking Tesla private, which was true. The defendants, who also include seven current and former Tesla directors, have denied wrongdoing. According to court documents, Musk may take the stand. Oracle co-founder Larry Ellison and James Murdoch, son of Rupert Murdoch, may also do the same. The trial could last about three weeks. Musk and Tesla have each paid a $20 million penalty over the tweets. Musk was also forced to step down as Tesla chairman, but was allowed to remain as CEO. Tesla's share price has fallen more than 60% over the past year as demand slowed. And the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, or OSHA, today issued citations against Amazon for failing to keep workers safe. 
Inspections at three warehouses found that workers were exposed to ergonomic hazards. OSHA said employees at three Amazon facilities in New York, Illinois and Florida were exposed to a higher risk of lower back and other injuries. The Labor Department said the risk stemmed from frequently lifting heavy packages, assuming awkward postures and working long hours. Workers at the Florida warehouse were also exposed to hazards from falling items that were unevenly stacked or not secured. And we reached out to Amazon for comment. It says it takes the safety and health of their employees very seriously. It strongly disagrees with the allegations and intends to appeal. Amazon also noted that while these are serious citations, they're not willful citations. Willful violation is where the employer purposefully disregards the law or acted with plain indifference to workers' safety. Employers are required to pay a fine if cited for willful violation. And the world's most famous arena is under fire for using facial recognition technology to kick out some people it didn't like. State lawmakers say it's problematic because it's discriminatory and could hurt free speech. NTD's Sean Marshall has more. Madison Square Garden Entertainment, owner of the famous arena, used facial recognition technology to have some lawyers removed from the garden and Radio City Music Hall. They did so because of the attorney's involvement in lawsuits against MSG venues. A number of legislators and privacy advocates rallied outside MSG on Sunday to demand the company immediately stop what they called the inappropriate use of the technology on fans. What does the public think about facial recognition tech being used in Madison Square Garden? So honestly, if the lawyers want to do something like on their personal time, just like go see like a concert, I don't really think that's, I think maybe let them be. It's kind of hard to separate work and pleasure, and Madison Square Garden doing that, I feel like is a bit like they're kind of drawing the line somewhat unfairly. Uh, I think that's my opinion on it. But, you know, in, in some aspects, I do see how they maybe want to stop, like people who are filing lawsuits against Madison Square Garden, because you never know their intentions. The coalition against the use of the cameras said venues should not have the power to weaponize facial recognition to discriminate against patrons and steal their personal information. MSG Entertainment released a statement saying, Facial recognition technology is a useful tool widely used throughout the country, including the sports and entertainment industry, retail locations, casinos, and airports to protect the safety of the people that visit and work at those locations. Sean Marshall, NTD News. Now on to today's special report. The U.S. government has a surveillance program with a database of over 150 million money transfers. Now these are transfers between everyday people here in the U.S. and other people in over 20 other countries. This is according to an investigation by Oregon Senator Ron Wyden. According to the investigation, this surveillance program is located at the Transaction Record Analysis Center, also known as TRAC for short. Wyden said the scope of the surveillance program and federal agencies' role in it is far greater than initially revealed. Now, according to internal documents, hundreds of agencies have access to the program's database. This includes federal, state, and even local law enforcement agencies. They can all see the full names of each and every sender as well as every recipient and each and every dollar amount. And not just that, they can all access this information without permission from a court. 
So normally, if law enforcement wanted to obtain private data, like bank records, they would have to prove to a court that the records are relevant to an investigation. Then the court gives them a warrant. We spoke to a former FBI special agent, Mark Ruskin, who says circumventing the court could be unconstitutional. If it was a procedure which is constitutional, you'd think that it would exist in other places and it would be nationwide and, and federal, but apparently it isn't. So maybe it is kind of a backdoor, which the courts, if they have an opportunity, or when I should say they have an opportunity to examine it, may shut this door and require going forward that the uh, information be obtained in, in a uh, uh, manner that complies with uh, constitutional requirements. The track program gets this data from money transfer firms like MoneyGram, Western Union, and RIA. Millions of people use these firms to transfer money. Though there's evidence these firms were forced to give their data. Western Union even put up a fight when Arizona Attorney General subpoenaed Western Union to get its records. Western Union at the time refused. A, A state court even found that Western Union was right to do so. The court said the subpoenas violated Arizona law, but Arizona's attorney general was apparently determined to keep trying. He sued Western Union to get those records, and eventually Western Union caved and agreed to turn over those records. The track program started out small. Its purpose was was just to fight drug trafficking between Mexico and America. And it's grown a lot since its founding. Now, 53 federal agencies, 80 state agencies, and 440 local agencies are using it. We talked to cybersecurity expert Nicholas Donerski, who's been working in this field for 23 years. Since the, the days of the Patriot Act, the exposure and really kind of the activity, right, the the ability to collect the information has has increased, seen an increased budget um, and an actual target for for the federal government to be able to see into um, what people are doing, how they're spending their lives and, and what they're talking about. Mark Ruskin, the former FBI special agent, says authorities are often tempted to find an easy route to get private data. This leads to the government becoming more powerful and despotic. Programs like the TRAC program, like the Patriot Act, and others, left unchecked, will lead to a continuing expansion of power by the central authorities, by the federal government, until we reach a point where it's too late to turn back. And that's why it's important for the courts to be actively involved in a uh, uh, oversight of these kinds of methods of, of obtaining information by authorities, whether they're federal, state, or local authorities, in order to prevent this movement towards an authoritarian Orwellian state. Senator Ron Wyden says he wants the Department of Justice to investigate the mass surveillance of money transfers. We reached out to Senator Wyden, but he declined to comment. We'll keep you updated with the story. U.S. authorities are going after the crypto crime ecosystem. Yesterday, they arrested a China-based crypto executive in Miami on suspicion of money laundering. Anatoly Lekodimov is a Russian national living in China. He's the founder and majority shareholder of crypto exchange Bitslato. A top DOJ official says the founder operated Bitslato as a high-tech financial hub that, in his own words, catered to known crooks. 
Fitzlato facilitated the transmission of hundreds of millions of dollars in illicit funds, fueling darknet marketplaces, and laundering the proceeds of ransomware attacks. Fitzlato allegedly exchanged more than $700 million in illicit funds with Hydra and received $15 million in ransomware proceeds. U.S. and German authorities shut Hydra down last year. Prosecutors say Bitzlato's founder managed the exchange in the U.S. at least for some time. If he's convicted, he faces up to five years in prison. Saudi Arabia now weighing the potential for trade in currencies other than the U.S. dollar. The nation is the world's largest crude oil exporter, and dollar-based oil trade largely contributes to the currency's global strength. NTD's Colin Fredrickson has more on what's at stake. Based on what a Saudi finance minister told Bloomberg on Tuesday, officials are open to using other currencies to boost relations with strategic partners, noting, quote, whether it is in the U.S. dollar, whether it is in the euro, whether it is in the Saudi real, he explained he doesn't think his country is, quote, waving away or ruling out any discussion that will help improve the trade around the world. Since the 1970s, Saudi Arabia's currency, the rial, has had a currency pegged to the dollar, meaning the two have a fixed exchange rate. Over the last few decades, the kingdom has played a critical role in sustaining the petrodollar system that prices crude oil exports in the dollar. Today, 80% of international oil transactions are priced in dollars. But over the last year, the strong dollar has been a problem for foreign markets since it makes it more expensive for other countries to buy commodities priced in the greenback. The Wall Street Journal reported in March that Saudi Arabia was mulling over another possibility, pricing crude sales to Beijing in the Chinese yuan. The newspaper noted that the kingdom had become frustrated with the current White House and was looking to shift its focus to Asian markets, including China. The move would fit in with Beijing's efforts to weaken the U.S. dollar's dominance and bolster the yuan. The stock market tumbled today. Weak economic data and hawkish comments from the Fed sparked worries that the central bank will keep tightening, perhaps enough to cause a recession. Retail sales posted the biggest drop in a year last month. Meanwhile, two regional Fed presidents stressed the need to raise rates beyond 5% to bring inflation under control. Inflation measured by the producer price index did cool off a bit in December. Producer prices fell 0.5% over the month. Still, it seems like that's not enough for the market. At closing, the dial lost 614 points, or 1.8%. S&P fell 62 points, or 1.6%. The Nasdaq dropped 138 points, or 1.2%. The U.S. is one day away from hitting its national debt limit. Negotiations are underway. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy says he would like to sit down with leaders and the president and start having talks. Republicans who are now in control of the House want federal spending cuts as a condition for an increase in the debt ceiling. President Biden and congressional Democrats want the debt limit to be raised without conditions. The U.S. government is months away from running out of cash. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen told congressional leaders last Friday that the government will start using extraordinary measures starting tomorrow to prevent a default. And now joining me is John Tammany to talk about the national debt. He's the vice president of FreedomWorks. Now, John, I was just reading your Forbes uh, opinion piece, and I want, I want you to explain. You say the U.S. 
doesn't have a debt problem. Rather, it has a revenue problem. So in very simple terms, what do you mean by that? Well, evidence we don't have a debt problem is all the debt. If we had a debt problem, no one would lend to us. But the facts are that investors around the world line up to buy our debt. Uh, that signals not a problem. What we have as evidenced by the fact that everyone wants to buy our debt is a too much federal revenue problem. It's precisely because investors trust the flow of tax dollars into the U.S. Treasury now and into the future that they're willing to buy so much of our debt. And so if we want to shrink the debt, it strikes me that the obvious way to do it is to shrink the flow of dollars into Treasury in the first place, at which point investors wouldn't be as interested in our debt. So, John, in a nutshell, what you're saying is because the U.S. has so much revenue that people are willing to lend money to the U.S. And that's where we have this $31 trillion. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, of course. The U.S. is the most economically productive country on Earth. And because it is, people are obviously going to willing to line up to lend to that country because they know that we'll pay it back. Uh, we've got $31 trillion in debt. Uh, Russia presently has $190 billion in total debt. Is that because Vladimir Putin is secretly a classical thinker and recognizes what's true, that government spending is a huge tax? No, it's just a sign that investors don't trust Russia's economic future. And because they don't, they won't lend to it. And so we have a revenue problem. Government takes in way too much in the way of tax revenues. It's going to take in exponentially more in the future. And because of that, U.S. debt is viewed as very attractive to investors around the world. So to be clear, are you saying $31 trillion isn't a lot of debt? It's not a lot of debt to the United States. Uh, now, could Haiti run up $31 trillion in debt? Could France? Could Russia? No, obviously they could not. Um, it's not a lot to a country that's comprised of the most productive, innovative people on earth. To be clear, this is not me defending the debt or the spending. To me, government spending is the ultimate tax on production. But let's understand why we have the debt. We have the debt because the investors around the world trust it, not because we have a debt problem. We have the opposite of a debt problem. If we had a debt problem, we wouldn't have a lot of debt. I see. So what do you say to the argument that the national debt is unsustainable and, and the argument of the debt to GDP ratio? Well, if it's unsustainable, I mean, these people who say that, I always remind them that they've got a remarkable disdain for markets. Because if it were unsustainable, there wouldn't be the debt in the first place. These the, the Treasury markets are the deepest markets in the world, comprised of some of the smartest people on Earth. If it were unsustainable, no one would buy the debt. But the facts are the U.S. Has, has been able to continuously run up debt over the decades. Uh, all of my life, it's run up debt. That's not a sign of unsustainable. It's a sign of the exact opposite. Again, that's not me defending it. I am a libertarian. I want limited government. But let's not confuse what's happening here. The problem is we take in too much revenue, hence all the debt, not the opposite. So I guess eventually we'll be able to pay back the $31 trillion? Well, I would think so. Would you do, do you actively lend to people who whom you don't think will be able to pay you back? I mean, to say otherwise, to say that we won't be able to pay back the 31 trillion presumes that markets are incredibly stupid. That the wisest finance financial minds on earth are buying up debt that won't be paid back. Do you think that's a reasonable scenario? Would if if I were broke and had no prospects for for earning money in the future, would you lend to me? 
And so again, what this tells us, the fact that the world lines up to buy the debt is a sign that investors think our future is pretty good economically. This is not me once again saying that government spending is a good thing. I think it's a bad thing. And this is not me saying that deficits drive our, economic, our economy upward. I don't think they do. I think government spending is a horrid tax. But there's a reason that so many people want to own our debt, and it's because they expect us to take in a lot more tax revenue in the future, thus being able to pay it back. I mean, yeah, those are very valid arguments. You have a very interesting position. John Tamney, Vice President of FreedomWorks, pleasure speaking to you today. Thank you. And taking a break now, but if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at ntd.com. Still to come, Apple bringing back its original HomePod smart speaker with some updates, including smart home tools. And Greece prepares for a year full of tourists. But the global economy and the war in Ukraine could hinder the recovery. That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Today, Apple announced the launch of its second-generation HomePod. Apple says the smart speaker has a sleek design and features improved acoustics. The device also uses room-sensing technology to detect how sounds act against different surfaces and adjusts accordingly. The second-generation HomePod can also recognize smoke and carbon monoxide alarms. If an alarm goes off, the device can send an alert to the user's iPhone. A sensor measures temperature and humidity in the room as well. That way, users can set smart home devices to automatically operate at specific temperatures. The second-generation HomePod runs for $299. And Greece is gearing up for another year full of visitors post-pandemic. But as the global economy struggles and the war in Ukraine rages on, the outlook for 2023 is far from certain. Entity's Andrew Thomas has the latest. Fireworks explode over the ancient Parthenon in Athens as Greece welcomes the new year. Tourists still come to the capital, even during winter. The best part is all the restaurants outside for me and all the little shops. What I love the most are the food and all of the people. Those are the things I love the most about Greece. Greece has renewed national efforts to become a year-round vacation destination. The country hopes that hiking trails, rock climbing, and visits to historic churches can dampen the winter slump. We have laid a solid foundation with hard work for the product called Greece, with our hospitality, with unique tourism experiences, with multiple destinations and alternative destinations, with investments, large tourism investments, new hotels, new multinational products in Greece, and investing throughout the country in culinary tourism, religious tourism, Greek tourism. Greece's tourism industry had a strong year in 2022 bringing in $3 billion more than it expected. I always try, when I come to Greece, to see some new place that I haven't seen yet. I buy books, I see ancient things, museums, I like Greek food. I'm also into Greek music, so at some point I will also buy an instrument. Those are several things that drew me here. The tourism rebound is welcome news for Europe's southern economies. The recovery is also easing the continent's tilt toward recession. 
But Russia's war in Ukraine, rising inflation, and global economic uncertainty all point to a rough 2023. Businesses that rely on tourism don't know if the next 12 months will be boom or bust. There are many threats around. Let's not forget that we have uh, a war in our continent. Uh, we have a very big uh, inflation in Europe and many countries are entering recessions and we have very high costs of running. Greece, Italy, Portugal and Spain have the highest levels of debt in the Eurozone relative to the size of their economies. A healthy tourism industry could help keep Greece afloat in 2023. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And that's the latest stories from the NTD business team and myself, Don Ma. You can follow me on Twitter if you're there. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please email us at business at NTD.com. That's all for today. Thank you for watching and we'll see you tomorrow.